This Podcast Movement 2022 audio session is brought to you by Supporting Cast, the best way to sell and deliver exclusive podcasts. And special thanks to PM22 Virtual Ticket Presenting Sponsor, Amazon Music. Okay, so welcome everyone to our, um, our incredibly soon to be really interesting uh, panel. Uh, we noticed that most of the panels had five people on them, so we're putting extra pressure on our guests here today to be doubly engaging, supremely entertaining, and I have no doubt that they will. Um, we appreciate you being here. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Suzanne Grimes. I'm the president of Westwood One, the uh, largest audio network in the country with a legacy of 40, I checked this morning, 46 years in news talk and music and entertainment and sports where most people know us well for work with the NFL and the NCAA, et cetera. Um, I also happen to be the head of uh, corporate marketing for our parent company, Cumulus Media. Um, and then thirdly, I have the privilege of uh, overseeing the Cumulus Podcast Network, which is what's most important here today, and frankly, most days, because that's where there's so much energy around what we're doing. And by wearing so many different hats, I have the ability to see a landscape that helps us think more about building a franchise and not just a show, building uh, something broader. And so when we meet a potential partner, or now actual partner, who thinks the same way and is really thinking about franchise building, not just vertically, but horizontally and in you know, every imaginable way, uh, we get super excited about the promise and, and possibility there. So I'm very excited to welcome here today our partners from Imperative Entertainment, who, I mean, continue to knock it out of the park from before I had even met them with you know, early wins uh, to what they're doing now with 22 different podcast series in play, another how many to be launched between now and December? I think it's five more. I, I lost track. Yeah, and, and, and continuing to do it with quality and award-winning uh, content. And so uh, we're going to learn a lot about some of those uh, newer ideas and, and thinking here today. And I hope that you go home with something that is relevant to you. Before we dig in, um, how many people here are actually content creators? Okay. Now you know who you're talking with, um, which is terrific. Uh, so I think we should just dive right in then. And I'm going to start with, with you, Jason. You're not your typical podcaster. I mean, from what I understand, you went to Wisconsin, mm -hmm. poli-sci, history major, uh, 20 years as a media exec, and then here you are. So what is your franchise? Tell us about what you've built. So, I, you know, in order to actually have a franchise, you actually have to spend time building the franchise. So this did not happen overnight. Um, I was part of the um, How Stuff Works team that sold to iHeart and, and really helped build that over a number of years. Um, and I wanted to do something um, really exciting around dramatic narrative series. And so I joined a movie studio who Imperative doesn't do Harry Potter or Spider-Man or Star Wars. We tell great dramatic stories in film. Uh, if you've heard of Neon, uh, which has done Parasite and a number of amazing uh, films, um, it actually was a really good fit for dramatic storytelling, having a podcast division start there. Um, and so the mission was really to tell these incredible stories. And it actually snapped with me in our second series, uh, Boomtown. Uh, based in the West Texas oil fields, one of our biggest hits. And I realized that our mission was going to be to go to places uh, that most of us would n not normally go to 
and meet people that you wouldn't normally interact with and tell those stories. And our mission has been that, going anywhere from um, a, a new story in Yellowknife in the Northwest Territories of Canada to um, St. Louis, Detroit, Denver, Winder, Georgia, all these places, and just immersing ourselves in these stories and experiences. So the franchise for us, as a starting point, is that, is actually building this kind of great, this great thing around awesome people that are completely different than what we are. And that's the story of our country, hopefully, and beyond. And so it's, it starts there. Um, then I think there's a certain intentionality when we look at our titles of wanting to be something bigger. Working for a movie studio, we have bigger ambitions to make stuff um, beyond the podcast. And that actually informs the way uh, we make our podcast. All right, now you brought along someone with you whose voice is known to many. I learned a little bit more about him in prepping for this panel. But Sean Kipe is the voice of some of the most popular shows today. We'll talk about that in a moment. He also happens to have a life before that um, as um, a musical artist of some renown. And he didn't bring his guitar, which is a shame. So next time we promise to come along with that. But for today, tell us a little bit about your experiences here. Yeah, coming from the music background, um, I played guitar in a band called The Calling for many years. So... If you're familiar with the song, Wherever You Will Go, it was the biggest hit uh, of that band's career, which was named the uh, number one song of the decade, uh, 2000 to 2010. So, and I played in a number of other bands and, and kind of toured the world and, and did that thing. Uh, and somehow I ended up in podcasts, which wasn't planned. But, you know, I've heard people say to me that this is my calling uh, telling these stories in, in podcasts, and I take that as a compliment. I, I always thought it was music. Maybe it is this. We have many chapters, don't we? So with the confidence in finding Sean and knowing that he was the right voice for, for what you were doing, talk a little bit about the process, how you pick someone like Sean, how you um, identify what next to add to the portfolio, because you consistently deliver the, the, uh, the wins and yet you're moving at such lightning pace. Yeah, it's probably one of the, you know, the most asked question I get, other than how big is your team, um, <laughs> which is a whole nother thing. Um, I, you know, I, we, we talk a lot about podcasts being an intimate medium and how special that is. And I just wanted something different in the stories that we were going to tell. Something that, you know, as Howard Stern says, the commute is the most miserable part of your day. I'm just here to entertain you, whatever that means. And for me, it means wildly entertaining, heartbreaking, kind of like morally confusing stories that feel like movies and TV shows when you listen to them. And I just think people need that today. And just going all in on that type of storytelling, when I see it, I know it, and it's not hard to find those things. I will listen to any pitch of any story, but, you know, Sean and I, you know, when we first met, you know, he's, he's like, I got this, you know, met this guy, Stoney, who's running this distillery, and his, his dad was the, you know, enforcer for the Dixie Mafia, and, and it was like, okay, well, I think we pretty much decided that day or the next time we met that we were going to do this. Um, 
and then we rolled up our sleeves and and you actually have to make these shows you have to so so we're you know we're in these fields with metal detectors next to the mulberry river we got cadaver dogs looking for bodies uh we're digging up you know i mean you remember it was 100 degrees out i do <laughs> i do remember it was a long 18 months making that show but you know and and i don't know how long the average person or the average show takes to make um but 18 months working just about every day on a podcast to me that was my first podcast you know you know and just for the benefit of the uninitiated here the show you're talking about is in the red clay thank you um yeah so that that was the first story it's about uh, georgia's dixie mafia and mainly the as jason mentioned the hitman and enforcer uh, who, who just had an unbelievable life in the 60s and 70s. And, yeah, but, I mean, we spent 18 months, and we're out in the 100-degree heat with 95% humidity and getting stung by bees and metal detectors, cadaver dogs, you know, meetings with police from different agencies and going to farms and just, you know, those are the things that you have to do to make a great story. And, and to really have it come across to people and take people, I think, to this little world you're creating. You gotta be willing to to go through those motions and spend the time and do it right. Yeah, and you know, we do something early with every one of our shows. Um, it's really intentional. I call it the movie poster moment. And what I mean by that is we do a full pitch deck as if we were gonna be selling a TV series. We do all the art and all the sizes right up front. And what that does for us is it, it frames what this thing is going to be about. We all have a visual of what this thing is going to be about, but it also kind of gives us the thing that we do believe it's going to go beyond the podcast and into a TV series or movie. It just has that, I don't know, that elevated thing for all of us when we, when we start the creative process. Um, and I think our art is some of the coolest out there anyway. Yeah, the movie poster moment, is that what you call it? Yeah. And then that inspires you throughout. I mean, there's a visual inspiration there that can't be denied. Yeah, totally. And it's really hard to keep that stuff under wraps when you have it for so long and you can't share it with anyone. So, so we talk about the quality of, of your shows undeniably, but there's also scale, right? Because you've delivered big hits with huge audiences time and time again. And one of the things that we all worry about is the loss of quality when you're pursuing scale, when you want that big audience and you're just going for big. So what do you do to preserve the right balance to ensure that you don't lose that quality along the way? So I was talking about going to places and meeting people all across the country. Well, that sounds all well and good, but if you don't have a team, it doesn't really matter. You, you, I mean, I can't do everything. Sean can't do everything. But... Um, you know, one of the models that I built from scratch was, um, I call it studio swap team, just internally. But I realized by the end of this year, we will have had 140 people touch an imperative podcast in one way, shape, or form. I'm actually the only person as part of the podcast team at Imperative. I still am after, after these years. And I wasn't ever going to be able to hire 140 people to do this. And so what we're able to take advantage of, like the movie industry, where we go to someplace like Oklahoma and we film a movie for three or four or five months, um, we pack up and we, the crews go to different places after that. 
I was actually really inspired by that model here, and I found great storytellers, um, great production people, um, I've got reliable sound engineers, um, I've got composers that I get to use all over the country, and it just works, it just works. And if I like you, I will work with you again. So Sean and I are on our third uh, podcast together. Uh, Wes Ferguson, who's here uh, from Texas, who did Standoff. Uh, we're working on another one that will launch um, in a couple months. And if we like each other, then we continue to, to do this thing and to go to new places. And so, you know, the scale thing scared me at first until I realized it was actually a great opportunity to really go to these places and do it right. Okay, so if you're launching five more between now and December, how do you do all that? You've got a small team, you're Very. committed to quality, and we know you'll deliver the numbers at the end of the day. So, so Sean hinted on the fact that, you know, in the red clay took us 18 months, and the only way that this happens is every one of these is at a, a different phase of development or production, uh, the interviews, and I'm still not sure how we're gonna pull this off at the end of the year. Um, and that's okay, it's a daily thing. Um, and it, what it means is being hyper-organized, hyper-focused, and honestly, I end most of my days at five o'clock when my family gets home, and I don't, you must work till midnight. Or Where do you send them that they come home to you? <laughs> <laughs> I just, you know, it, it's just like, I don't have to work until two o'clock in the morning to pull this off. It's just about, it's being able to, being able to manage uh, somehow. That makes one of us. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so a lot of what drives you, it seems sort of instinctive. You, you're just darn good at this. Um, so I want to go back to your, your roots being fascinated by history, right? That's what you chose to study in school to a certain extent. That's what you find in these stories. These are not necessarily super contemporary stories, right? But there's something about the way it pulls at your heartstrings that tells you that we want to hear it. Yeah, uh, you know, people, I mean, you asked earlier about how do you find these stories, and I think the stories are right there for the taking if you just dig a little bit. And I actually think, so there's a lot of examples of this. I actually think that this, so I'm a child of the 70s, but I was too young to remember the 70s. And so I'm fascinated about that era between the craziness of the 60s and the pop culture, you know, MTV era of the 80s, and there's all these stories that were head, like headline-making stories every single day in the newspaper on TV, whether it was Wayne Williams and Atlanta Monster to, um, to the Dixie Mafia, and they're there for the taking. And I just firmly believe that we kind of like to bury our past. Atlanta and Georgia is... A lot of southern stories. In seriously. Just like the, the particularly famous of like, we don't actually want to talk about this. And so you end up talking to um, archivists, and they say, I remember this with Atlanta Monster, they said, you know, we, we thought s someone would show up at our doorstep to tell this story. We just didn't know who it was gonna be and when, when it was gonna happen, but we're excited you're here. And so I think the story of the Dixie Mafia in, in the Red Clay is, it checks that box of like, this has been in plain sight, and the town of Winder didn't want to talk about it. And you, you met, you know, Stoney, and we just told the story. Yeah, and I also find at times that you, you're surprised 
that people actually do want to talk about stories. You know, and, and so you have that weird juxtaposition with the Dixie Mafia thing. It was, it was both something that that town is almost proud of, that, that something that big came from this little town, but they were also embarrassed of it, you know, because it's, who wants to brag about, you know, what's your, what's your town known for? A, a mass murderer, you know? It's, so, but once you dig in and, and get people talking about it, you're, you're surprised. I'm always surprised at what people are actually willing to tell you. Have you ever been scared when you're working on a story, walking into something where someone doesn't want to let you in or? No, I've never been scared. I mean, I've, look, I've been, I've had threats made. I've had people tell me to watch my back and don't, you know, I, I've certainly kept my head on a swivel at, at times, um, mainly with Fox Hunter and even to some degree the in the land of lies that we're, you know, working on right now, you know, but I just, I don't uh, let that, that kind of stuff dissuade. You're bigger than that. Uh, I mean, you know, it's like, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. But I think the, you know, the more you hear that stuff, you're, you're, you're on the right path. You know, I think there's things that you uncover in taking six or eight months or a year to investigate a story. And if you are, poking the bear, you know, and the bear's <laughs> kind of growling at you. I mean, it's, you're onto something. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I guess. So that's one kind of an investigative approach to a lot of the successes that you've had. Let's talk a little bit about one of your upcoming shows, Elizabeth the First. I think people here, I'm not sure how much you want to share, would be excited to know anything that you might share because it sounds like one of the more historical, archivally based, fascinating uh, shows in the works. Yeah, I'm so excited about this. Um, so if you're not familiar, um, we have a title coming out very, very soon called Elizabeth I. Um, I've been working with the Elizabeth Taylor estate for over three years on this project. To tell the story of Elizabeth Taylor as the original influencer, we hear that term influencer all the time. And this woman, this incredible woman lived really an amazing life and did so many things. She lived a full life. So she did all the things from uh, at a young age to all the way uh, until her passing. And um, just really earned the trust of the estate, which includes her grandson, uh, Quinn Tyvey. And they actually have an archive that they've preserved so much of her stuff. I had to sign a second non-disclosure agreement just to walk in that room. And really? um, yeah, and some of the audio that you'll hear has never been shared with the public. It would have never worked in any other form than, than audio. Um, there's letters, there's, there's so much. And what's also particularly interesting is um, the people that tell the stories were those that were closest to her, her assistants, her lawyers, her, her family. And so there's this great intimate, intimate portrait of an incredible lady um, hosted by Katy Perry. Yeah, so explain a little bit to the audience about why Katy Perry was so excited to be a part of this. She just adores uh, Elizabeth Taylor and her advocacy, her, her, her strength as a female leader. I think she, it really resonated with her. Uh, she actually did a photo shoot dressed up as Elizabeth Taylor for Harper's Bazaar a couple years ago. And you could just see her eyes light up. And so she said yes immediately. And we've been working with her 
on this, and she absolutely crushes it. I, Katie is remarkable. It's personal. It's, it's just, I think you're going to love it. It's coming soon, and it's one of the most things, things I'm most proud of that, that we've ever done. And, uh, Isn't there a special piece of audio right at the top of the show? Maybe she was eight? Yeah, you'll hear one of the first clips of audio that uh, Elizabeth was, was ever on um, behind a piano. And it's so sweet and so genuine. And it's got that crackly sound of old audio that to me makes these series sound so interesting. So um, coming soon. Terrific. So do you think you'll be doing any more of that kind of archival work, historical figures and so forth? Or was that a one shot? Uh, we'll see. I've actually had a number of um, similar interesting projects that have come up and that we're looking at. Okay. So this is about franchise building. Let's talk about some of the work you've done that has found its way very purposefully and intentionally to other platforms, uh, including ultimately TV or, or film opportunities. Yeah, so I talked earlier about, uh, earlier about um, doing Boomtown in the, right here in Texas, in the West Texas oil fields, uh, Permian Basin. Um, so that is actually going to become a series called Landman that will start shooting later this year or early next year for Paramount Plus. Um, Taylor Sheridan is actually producing it, and Billy Bob Thornton is going to be the lead actor, and he's actually helping co-write some of the series. It was designed specifically for him as in the role as, a, as an oil man. How awesome is that? I mean, that is a dream. That was actually Taylor seeking out Christian Wallace, the writer at Texas Monthly, and saying, I love this, can we do something together? Uh, I mean, that's amazing. Uh, we've got five or six others that are in some form of development. And, uh, you know, what's fascinating to me, learning about how this is all supposed to work, is um, it's kind of a dating thing where you do the podcast and then you kind of start over and you figure out who you want to work with, writers, directors, production companies or whatever. And I would say, you know, we actually have some things in the works within the red clay as something else that Sean can speak to. Um, and it's been that kind of, kind of dating thing, right? Like trying to figure what this out. We, we're very protective of our IP and the story. Yeah. We wanted to get it right. Yeah. And, th and that's probably why it's taken so long is because we are so protective of it. But also I think because you become so connected you know, you spend a year and a half of your life or a year of your life working every day on a project and you get these characters that are, you know, you become a part of their life, they become a part of yours. And so when it comes time to the project's out, people have fallen in love with it and somebody comes along and wants to put their spin on your vision, you, you know, it is. It's, you've got to be on the same, same wavelength on, on a lot of levels. So, but I think we've found the right people for us, and you know, it's it's being developed right now. And, and so, can you say what that looks like, or is that premature? You'd have to ask my my boss. <laughs> Coming soon. Coming soon. <laughs> uh, well respected. Okay, let's talk a little bit about a theme that has been woven through almost every discussion here so far today, which is the role of video in podcasting. How do you think about that? I think it's, um, I, I think, you know, in the next year, I mean, when you think of um, 
not just YouTube, but I think YouTube just really has a big role to play in this. But I also think um, communicating with your office, uh, with your uh, audience takes on, it's a communication form. And so I think actually getting in front of listeners and having a conversation with them, we've tried doing this a lot lately, um, where we just, it can't just be here's the episode, listen to it. They actually want to hear from Sean. They want to hear from some of our hosts. And so there's a deeper connection that we wanted to enforce there. Um, and so it's a time thing more than anything. It's, there's always a lot of like, I've got to do one more thing now in order to make a podcast. And that's really hard. And so at the end of the day, it's just a judgment call of like, what can we do and what makes sense? We'll try anything, but, but how much time do we have? Clearly not much, given the schedule that you guys keep. I think that that's fair to say. So, Sean, you've worked on three different shows there. Talk about what that's been like for you. Well, like I said, I mean, In the Red Clay was my first podcast, and I, this is almost embarrassing to admit, but before I started working on that with Jason and Imperative, I had never even listened to a podcast before. Okay. But, you know, and people... Newbie. I'd never listened to a podcast, and so they said, you know, I brought this this story to them, and, and, and Jason said, let's do it. I love it. You should host it. And I just thought, like, man, I've never heard a podcast. Like, I don't even know how to do that, <laughs> you know? So, you know, I figured it out along the way with, with this guy's help, and and we we enjoyed working together. We have a pretty seamless, you know, working relationship. We... Our minds are in the same place, and again, a lot of that goes through from the very beginning, from the very concept of telling a story, I think of it like a movie, and I know Jason does. If you can't have people listen to it, I think, if you can't have people listen to it, close their eyes, and, and be in the story, see these characters, you know, smell the smells, and, and it, then it's just not going to be as impactful. So in the red clay, we learned a lot. Uh, immediately we said, let's do more. And yeah, so Fox Hunter was my second project with Imperative and that was sort of a more real time, you know, it was actually happening and every week I would write the script, put the session together, do interviews, investigate, do all this stuff and put the session together, record the voiceover, edit it, mix master, in seven days, uh, and it wow. wasn't it wasn't easy. So when he says he's he's done at five o'clock, <laughs> you're <day>. not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I was two in the morning. I brought that up just to tweak yeah, yeah, you, yeah, just to make you mad. Yeah, and so the new one is in the land of lies. We're on uh, episode four right now of ten that have been released, and uh, we're excited. I mean, it's I, I enjoy it. We learn a little bit each time. Every project that I do, I learn what worked, what didn't, what I would like to do different, down to pacing of your, your voiceover, to the mixing level of the music, I mean, everything. So. so for the content creators here in the audience who may be a little bit earlier on the journey than you may be today, what advice would you give them? You've learned a lot in a short amount of time. Yeah, I think it all comes down to story. You know, you have to really be willing to invest yourself. And I, and I, I speak to this for serial, you know, shows. But you have to be willing to go the extra mile 
and make it special. You have to connect to the people that are in the story you're telling. Because if, if you can't connect to them on a, on a personal level or an emotional level, how do you expect your listeners to? Uh, so that would be my biggest piece of, of advice, you know, go to the river, go to the, uh, get the metal detector out, go stand in the heat, go drive the four hours, you know, or take a flight if you can. Go through the motions, don't just phone it, you know, do, do phone interviews and, you know, go meet people, spend time with them, have a drink with them, whatever it is, get inside these people's heads. That's going to allow you to convey that so much more in a podcast. I think it earns trust, too, with people. When you show up in front of someone and you don't rush to say, you know, okay, I got what I needed, I'm going to bop out of here, and you actually sit down and have that real conversation, I think they trust you. I think they do. I think you, you have to earn trust. You can't just take it. And Sean does a great job. He's fearless in, in really calling about anyone to have a conversation. He's very disarming when, when he has these conversations and it comes through. Like people tell him everything after a few minutes because they, they get him. Yeah, which is, which is an odd thing. Sometimes you, you hear too much from people in a short amount of time, but for what we do, that's what you want. You, know, you want that unabashed, just open honesty from people. All right, you talked about what you were most proud of perhaps a minute ago. Share one of your biggest busts. Something must have gone terribly wrong somewhere along the way. Uh, I, don't mean, I don't mean to sound like I don't have it. I got all kinds of issues. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, you know, I put a lot of pressure on myself when I started this thing to make it as big as some of the things I had done before. And so I put out a series that I wrote, created, and narrated called Gangster House. And I think it stands on its own, um, but I, to do it all over again, I would have taken more time and I would have not been the host. You can't be good at everything. You just can't. And I just, that's my criticism of myself. Some people don't wanna watch the movies that they create. And this is just one of those things where I think I was just so trying to get something big off the ground and move quickly that even though it is a great thing and I'm working on a feature film of that with a, someone awesome, I just, I wish I would have taken my time and um, you don't have to be in a rush for these things. Like it took, in The Red Clay it took 18 months. Elizabeth Taylor took three years. I just, I wish I would have slowed down a little bit and gotten it right and pitch perfect um, versus just trying to run so fast. And you are a little bit of a perfectionist, which serves us well little bit. Yeah. So tell us about Wes and what you do with Wes. He's nice enough to be here with us today, too. So Wes is uh, formerly of Texas Monthly and is a gifted storyteller. He really is. It, please listen to Standoff. It's this incredible story of uh, the 1974 Huntsville, Texas prison siege that has real human elements. He discovered this, you know, archive of incredible tapes of the phone calls that were leaving the prison, um, but it has a great human element to it, and, you know, whether it's Sean or it's Wes or any of the creators, um, one thing that's really, really important to me is, um, is freedom to tell your story and do it your way, and so, especially with Wes, because he's so gifted as a writer and storyteller, um, 
we look at scripts together, and I'm just around the edges making recommendations, but I, want, I don't want every show to sound the same. I don't want it to be just what I like. I want it to be an appreciation of what Wes or Sean or anyone brings to the table. And, um, you know, when we first got in the studio with Wes, uh, we were in Austin, Texas, and I just was like, wow, he's a great storyteller. Like, he could sit by, you know, at a bar or by a fireside somewhere and, and just tell this yarn, if you will. And it comes through in the show, uh, for sure. So um, I'm, we're so lucky that to have Wes part of our team and working on another incredible story that's also coming soon. So, yeah, he's awesome. A lot awesome. of coming soon stuff here. Now, I see you, um, and it would be great if you could bring a mic over. So there are a couple of themes that are really clear. Storytelling is the essence of what you do best, right? And everyone that you choose to work with once, twice, or many, many times has that gift. Second is that intentional approach to all the planning that you do. There's nothing that happens just willy-nilly from what I can see in, in your world. The third is you're always thinking about the listener, yeah. right? And, and, and we're talking about the actual podcast and the actual story, but the ways that you find to move that audience around and, and touch them in many, many different ways on many, many different platforms throughout their experience with your shows is a big part of your success, too. I think hard work is another because you say five o'clock, but I don't believe you actually. <laughs> it's not really true, it's, it's, but it's, it's it's hard to contemplate that uh, if you spend an hour with you. Yeah. So hard work obviously is a big part of it too, and pride, you know, deep pride and belief that what you're doing matters yeah. and brings something to the world. So the gift of entertaining America and beyond um, is 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 a noble mission for you. Yeah, you know, I actually said this. Uh, a couple times already at the conference, just like, what are we doing? Like, this is a dream. Look, can you imagine like being able to, to, to be able to do what any of us do to tell these stories, to have, you know, millions of people listen and work on podcasts that be, could become a movie or a TV. I mean, people from my hometown, they don't understand. My parents don't understand. We're just so incredibly fortunate. You have to just really even though it is really hard to do these things, I th just an appreciation for the kind of the gift of being able to tell these stories. I just, I've, I've, I'm incredibly fortunate to be able to do this. And so that's why, that's why putting in the hard work and doing all these things matters is because it is so rewarding. And I just think as an industry and anyone that's here should be really proud of the fact that we have this opportunity and we have this massive audience that continues to grow who's looking for shows like these. And I just, it's so fortunate. I, like, I can't say enough about how exciting that is. Well, and in a time when discovery is the, one of the number one challenges of our industry, um, you certainly find a way to be discovered through all of those tips. And so for those of you in the audience, if there's anything in particular that you might want to ask these gentlemen, um, you heard the themes and they are resonant, but there may be something very specifically that you'd like to ask. And I see a hand up back and can, here. Can I say one thing first? Absolutely. So we have some news that we want to announce today. You're the first to hear this. Um, I'm going to turn it over to Sean. Yeah, if you've listened to In the Red Clay, we've talked about it a little bit. Uh, we're very excited. I'm very excited to announce that we are going to be launching season two of that series uh, this year, date TBD, but uh, we're really excited. 
And what will characterize season two? We're so excited to hear more. Uh, yeah, season two is going to concentrate on the Durham family murders, which, if you remember at the beginning of the year, made national news uh, that a 50-year-old triple homicide had been solved by the sole surviving member of the Dixie Mafia, who's still in prison, Billy Wayne Davis. And, you know, it, it was everywhere and really brought this all back into... You know, and showed us how much of a, a desire there was for people to still want to dig into this story. So season two this year, um, you guys hear it first, and we're going to be making the announcement. All right, uh, so that's our news item of the day. Yeah, Congratulations, yeah. that's huge. Thank you, yeah. We're very excited. Yes, this question is for Jason. Oh, man. Are you or are you not a podcaster? Well, Payne. <laughs> on, I, didn't get the, I didn't get the t-shirt so I guess I'm not a podcaster cool thank you <laughs> does that work for you nice disguise <laughs> Payne said that's Payne Lindsay back there he said he was going to heckle me uh, and he, he, did, he did his job great job anyone else with a question Well, there's a mic coming up right behind you in case you'd like to use it. She said, don't go too close. Can you hear me? Um, no, I'm kidding. Um, so talk to, can you tell us a little bit about building the franchise from the success of, you know, the, going from the podcast to TV and movie? And do you leverage some of that IP? Because I noticed you talked about going from Boomtown to another complete title. What, you know, where do you and when can you leverage it when you're building um, into another platform? And when does it make sense to sort of, you know, lose maybe some of that um, and create sort of a new um, storyline and, and title? Yeah, I mean, I, it kind of depends on t title by title, but I can tell you that, you know, again, the intentionality from the beginning is when we have conversations with creators is to um, is to think about what that's going Let's envision together what this could be, TV series or movie. Mm -hmm. um, and what's really strange is sometimes other people catch wind of this while we're actually in development. I'll tell the story of how, how Wes uh, here was pursued for six months from a team of writers in San Antonio wanting to do the standoff story and make a TV series, and we hadn't even launched the podcast yet. <laughs> so we didn't actually know what the, the shape of that was going to be. Uh, and so I just told them, hold on a little bit. Let's get our feet under us. I wanted to be very protective of Wes's space to be able to develop the story. Um, and he did, and we ended up really liking this team, and about three, four weeks ago, we were in the middle of Texas on a 525-acre ranch um, doing um, writer's room sessions with them and creating... So it did come full circle. Yeah, it did come full circle. I would have never predicted that, and, and so I would say we don't always know what that form is going to be. We don't know how long it's going to take. We don't necessarily know if it's going to be a docu-series, um, feature film, or, um, uh, or television series. Um, and sometimes it depends on who you talk to. Like, what is the relationship with that other partner who's going to help us get that done? Inside imperative, but also outside of imperative. We don't know. Does that answer your question? Sure. 
Anyone else? We have three minutes left. And my boss in the back told me she's really strict <laughs> about our time limit. Did you raise your hand? I'm going to ask you to repeat that so everybody can hear. Otherwise, oh, I would do it for you. you. Thank you. Um, I was curious. This is kind of a follow-up to the question that was just asked. How do you think about transferring your audiences when you start in podcasts and you, you build a great following and then you want to take them with you on this journey into film and movie, et cetera? How do you think about recapturing that in terms of timing but also just in terms of tools? There's actually, and there's another part of that, which is if you, when you're talking to the streamers of the world who might be where, where the, the, the thing ends up, they actually, they actually really want to know the data. They actually, it's really, instead of just, wow, this is an amazing script, let's, let's invest tens of millions of dollars in this and make it into something. I think what's so beautiful about podcasts is we can give them audience numbers, we can give them social media, um, whatever, number of reviews, positive, all, all those things, and they're, they're asking for it. And so I think that helps. Um, the gap, so I also know like how many people um, are subscribed to In the Red Clay that we can go back to when we have a, an announcement to make and, and carry that with us. Um, so I think that excites the streamers. I think they're asking for more of that. The data certainly helps. We're getting to the point where data is actually a positive in podcasting for the longest yeah. time. There's been such a dearth of data, but we've reached a point where there's enough knowledge of your audience and, and who's passionately invested that you can use that going forward. I, I've heard of the new thing now in Hollywood is that they're greenlighting projects and before they actually go ahead and release, they start making podcasts so that it's grounded in an audience and data that will help them launch later on. And that is not the behind the scenes Game of Thrones podcast that summarizes what happened. It's actually, no, we're already making this, but we have to make this too before this comes out. And that, I just heard that oh, a couple that's weeks fascinating. ago. Fascinating. Fascinating, yeah. Well, that's a pretty nice note to close on where you're sort of leading the way for Hollywood. I think that's a testament to you as truly the gold standard of, of what's happening time and time again. You have the instincts and the ability to bring it together. And I'm just honored to have this time on the stage with you. I'm sure everyone else got a lot out of what you shared today as well. Congratulations on season two. Can't wait Thank to hear you. that. And Elizabeth the first and, and all the other projects you have in the works. Thank you so much. Thank you. Real Thanks, pleasure. everybody. Thank you.